Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. (laughs) I'm so excited for this podcast and for what's about to happen. I'm not even exactly sure why, but I'm excited for our listeners too. Today's guest is Nikki Lemon, and I don't talk a whole lot. I mean, people who've listened to all my episodes and are on my website know that I am a life coach school certified coach. Um, that comes with its own like sort of beliefs and processes and tools and resources and community. So I was in a life coach school coach community recently, and I said, hey, who are my fellow life coach school coaches? who feel capable, passionate, and ready to talk about grief for my podcast about abortion. And I believe your response was something like, I'm all in and I have personal experience. And I was like, that's my girl. (laughs) So welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, I'm so excited to be here. Ah, so, so good. yeah, so I have um, I have so many questions for you and so many stories to unveil in this podcast, but why don't you tell listeners a little bit about who you are, how you ended up coaching, anything you think someone listening might be interested to hear, as well as what makes a person like you say, sure, I'll be on your podcast and talk about abortion. <laughs> Because not everyone does that. Let me tell you. (laughs) I mean, it's not really a topic we all raise our hands and admit that we've had personal experiences there, right? But what I found in my life journey is that that has become critical to my own healing is the Mm. speaking of it and the unpacking of it and, um, and then listening to other people who are brave enough to share their stories that has helped me probably more than anything is just being able to listen to other people's stories and recognizing the benefit that has had in my own life. It made me more willing to share my personal experiences in the hope that maybe my story reaches someone out there who has had something similar and maybe it gives them um, permission to allow their own feelings and embark on their own journey and also maybe a little kindness for themselves to understand that they're not alone. We, we all make choices, right? We make decisions and it's really hard to get to the spot, but critical that we get to the spot where we recognize that those are just choices. They're just decisions, right? So I'm 48. Mm -hmm. I live in Utah. Um, My background is varied. I've had a lot of different jobs. Um, I've been a real estate agent for 16 years. Um, Mm -hmm. I I have two children who are my, my world. Mm. Um, And in college is when I had my abortion. And what happened after that was really, I just went on this journey of holding that experience close to me. I didn't tell anyone about it because I, I, been raised in a Mormon household, actually. And um, 
had been conditioned to believe that really abortion was absolutely just plain murder and that if that was a choice that we made as a woman or a girl that we were damning ourselves for all eternity mm. and not only we were, were we damned but we were damaged mm. right mm. so i truly took this on and tried to just bury this thing i had done deep down inside not talk about it and then i just went you know throughout the rest of my life carrying this shame and guilt and self-hatred and I had years of alternating depression, eating disorders, um, a lot of a string of really poor choices in men. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been married four times and all four I would call toxic, dysfunctional, highly abusive. Um, the last two with extreme narcissists. And I allowed myself to become engaged with these men and marry them in an effort to save them mm. because I believed maybe that might be my only chance at salvation, mm. right? my only chance at fulfilling some sort of self-worth or value. And maybe, maybe that was a way I could feel good about myself. If I could just give myself over to these men and sacrifice myself, that would bring me to this place of feeling good about myself anyway what happened was in my fourth marriage I got to the point of suicide I had actually planned my suicide wow. had packed boxes for my um, teenage children with notes in them mm. you know, like the Christmas box with their their own ornaments I wrote notes to them saying I hope that you'll have good memories of Christmases in our past and just I started to plan my suicide because I believed that was my only way out of this marriage and it was the only way to save my children from suffering further. Mm. And it, in the middle of this process of planning my suicide, I don't know what happened, but something, just some little flame somewhere in me ignited and said, maybe this isn't your only choice. Mm. Maybe there's something else you can do. And I just started like, really delving into like self-help that community right and reading books and listening to podcasts and going to seminars and i remember going to one seminar where i listened to um jessica buchanan who was kidnapped uh. i listened to her and I, I had a really close seat to her and i got to watch as she spoke and she spoke with such a beautiful cadence and she was talking about how she was captured her captors would let them stand in a 12 inch by 12 inch box and they had to stay in that box and that she said that she would stand in this box and she called it her box of um despair and that that's all she could feel was this despair and as she spoke about despair i felt that i took that on i felt like that's what my life had been just this endless despair and i wanted to find a way out of it and as she spoke about courage and her her progress as she got home dealing with all these issues that ensued from being kidnapped i decided right then and there that i could find a way out of my own despair and that i was going to figure it out mm. and so i used a lot of tools that i later learned are actual tools i don't know how intuitively i just <laughs> what i did and and in this process i found um life coaching and I was coached and it just started me on this journey of uh, like awe and wonder at the idea that 
our thoughts are so powerful wow. and that we get to choose how we think and feel about ourselves and our journey and our choices and our decisions. Right. And so and then I decided to become certified and, and help women in really similar situations to the ones I had been in. And it's been the most gratifying, rewarding thing in my entire life. And I find that, you know, we're never fully healed, right? We're healing alongside those that we're helping. And so it's been great for me to continue to heal and have my own progress and my own journey alongside these women. It's been incredible. But I am so grateful to know that there's someone Amanda because this, because it's such a, a disenfranchised grief there's really, there really aren't resources out there for people to talk about mm-hmm. these things they experience. You know, it's mm-hmm. not socially accepted. It's, it's not yeah. um, publicly observed as a acceptable yeah. grief, right? Yeah. So tell me, can I ask you some questions about all the amazingness you just shared? <laughs> um, how long was that period? So you got this abortion in college. I have more questions about that, but you chose this abortion in college. And then there was this many, many years, it sounds like of believing that you were paying the price that you were, that your suffering was as a result of having made that choice. How many years are we talking here that you've carried that? Most of my life. So I was, it was actually the day after my 20th birthday when I drove myself to the abortion clinic. And I'm, that day is marked every year. So really I didn't start to heal and talk about the abortion until I turned 40. So 20 years, 20 years 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 silence. Wow. Yeah. Finally, finally, openly, I went to, um, the father and his mother because I felt Mm -hmm. extreme guilt for taking that away from them i went to my own family um i had a discussion with my sister-in-law which seemed really important at the time because she couldn't get pregnant Mm. and i felt guilt wow that i had deliberately ended a pregnancy when she couldn't that that's all she wanted in the whole world And then I started journaling a lot and doing a lot of self-reflection and talking to myself, but it took 20 years, Amanda, Mm. 20 years. I carried that and just buried it and dealt with all the ramifications of that. And then how long until the day, or maybe you haven't reached it, that you fully accepted that this abortion did not define your worth and did not define how you could live your life or who you could date or what amount of joy you could experience. I believe it was probably exactly four years ago is when I came to that point. I think I had come to that point previously. So I will back up and tell you that I did admit to the abortion before the 20 years to one person. Mm. Well, to, I, to my first husband, when I was married, we'd only been married a year and he came to me and told me that, he didn't love me (laughs) and that he, he didn't want to be with me anymore. So I went home in tears to my, you know, I was living with him and I had my parents come and get me. And I convinced myself while I was home for the weekend with them, with, you know, knowing my, my marriage has ended. I convinced myself that it was my fault that he didn't love me because 
when you're a Mormon, the ultimate goal is to get married to your spouse in, in a Mormon temple, which I had done with him, but I had done so unworthily because I hadn't confessed my abortion to my clergy members, right? I hadn't repented. I hadn't been atoned of that sin, so to speak. So I convinced myself that somehow this man didn't love me because he knew I was a horrible, horrible dead soul. Wow. So I begged him. I said, please just speak to me. I, I think I know what this is about. So he agreed to speak to me. I sat down and I bore my soul. And I told him all about this abortion that had happened, you know, three years previously and how sorry I was. And I knew that's why he didn't feel love for me because I wasn't worthy of that love and that I was willing to take whatever steps necessary to become worthy. And so he agreed to go with me to our bishop that was over our clergy and to confess the sin and repent of it. I did this. And, I, and just in the speaking of it to another person was a huge relief. I felt light mm -hmm. as a father when I left that church yeah. building. And he told me that he would, have a, he would have to meet with me again in a few weeks after he thought about what I had done and what my punishment should be. I fully expected to be excommunicated from my church, fully. And I was prepared and willing to take that on because I just wanted absolution of some sort. I wanted to feel clean. I wanted to feel clear. I wanted to feel worthy. I wanted to feel like I was worthy of having a purpose and moving forward in life. Mm -hmm. I wanted to feel worthy of being loved by my husband. I wanted to be able to look in a mirror and like what I saw. And I just figured that if he could think of a punishment, that would fulfill those needs. So he called in a few weeks and had me come in and meet with him again with my husband. And he said, I've spoken to the stake president, which is a person higher above him. And he, he and I both have prayed about this and determined that you have suffered long enough. That God has forgiven you. Your savior, Jesus Christ, took this from you. Mm. And I say this, just, this is, these were just my belief systems at the time. Yeah, yeah. So um, he, uh, he said, go from this building knowing that you never have to speak of this again. You are clean. You are free from all sin. Speak of it no more. Do not carry it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I left that building believing that because this man over me had told me it was so. Wow. So I go on and, and we stay married another year. And when I get pregnant with my daughter, my husband comes to me and says, listen, still don't love you. Don't want to be a dad. I'm out. And so I left and that that's where I went home and tried to, you know, be around my family and raise my daughter and try to find my worth. And I, you know, I jumped back into my religious community. I was very active there and, you know, trying to live my life and fulfill my yeah. purpose. And what happened was I had a first cousin actually who for some reason felt it her duty to look into my life and started calling this ex-husband and somehow did some research and found out that I had had an abortion, went to the abortion provider, somehow got a copy, a receipt that I paid for the abortion. And for the next 10 to 15 years, she would show it to anyone who would look. She took it to every single bishop of every ward I was in wrote a letter to them telling them why I should not be a teacher in the church or hold a position in the church because I'd had this abortion and here was her proof. 
So I started to think, what happened to forgiveness? This bishop told me I was forgiven, right? I and wish so, the audience, because I don't share video at this point, but I wish the audience could see my face <laughs> as you tell this amazing story that I'm so grateful for you for telling. Okay, so this bishop had told you you were forgiven, and then this whole shit right. goes down, right? right. Okay. Where are you at now? Sorry, I had to interrupt because oh, I'm just, no, you're good. what is happening here? So I, what it does is it causes a whole nother layer of cognitive dissonance for me because I'm like, what is true and what, who do I believe? Like, am I not forgiven? Is it, is it something I need to tell everyone about? And I just felt like in my life, emotionally, psychologically, I was doing a lot of flip-flopping. There was a lot of confusion, right? And so it just kind of brought everything back up to me. Like, no matter how hard I try or what I do, what steps I take to rectify this, it's really never gone. And everyone's going to eventually find out about it because this cousin, she's determined, right? Wow. I think then at that point, I, take, I took on this viewpoint of, well, I'm just gonna be a completely too open book. I'm gonna tell everyone everything mm. up front as soon as I meet them before they can find out and make their own judgments. Yeah. And so I think I overshared for a few. Mm -hmm everything i overshared everything in this effort to say here i am i have no secrets there's nothing hidden so that's kind of what happened when i turned 40 i went and told i talked to everyone and i didn't just tell them about the abortion i would tell them anything that i felt like was a flaw or a bad decision or a poor choice in my life and mm. i don't think i chose well the people i shared mm -hmm. those things with i think mm -hmm. that hurt me a little bit and i think also the abusers in my life use that information to hurt me further, mm. right? To ensnare me. And that's very common in narcissistic abusive relationships. They, they find people in vulnerable situations like mine, and they sort of go in and, and act as comforters and saviors and the knight on the white horse. I'm here to not judge you. And then mm. they divulge everything, right? And they make you feel comfortable and loved and wanted and then what happens is later once they've trapped you and snared you in this relationship they will use all of those things to throw back in your face and make sure you are clear about the fact that you are a despicable human being wow yeah wow. yeah part of me is like just in you know, disbelief that this is the human experience. It's so far from my own human experience and wishing that stuff like this didn't have, have to happen to people like you. But then the other part of me is like, this is so amazing that you have had all these experiences and that you can now gift your, the people you serve with such a full experience of your human life and your human journey and your transformation. Absolutely. Holy moly. What we learn in life coaching ultimately is that like every experience is a teacher for us. Every person we encounter is a teacher and we're also offered as a teacher for them. And so you know, we're hard. I think it's Brene Brown that says we're hardwired for struggle and we're also hardwired for success mm. and survival. And so we're all going to have struggle and then they're all going to be unique. And yet there may be some similarities with other people. 
And so I think that's why it's important to share is that yeah. when we do share, you know, our experiences, people pick up on that we have empathy for them and we've been there and we know how you feel and we can help each other through this. Yeah. We're not, we're not alone. Yeah. 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 What would you say the biggest feeling, the biggest thought, the biggest thing you overcame was, was it grief? Was it shame? Was it guilt? Like what was, I know that's a gigantic question, yeah. but like what was the biggie for you that, that released you? <laughs> you know what? I feel like I had a big aha moment with all of those things, right? I learned to understand and differentiate between grief yeah. and I understood the importance of, or sorry, guilt and shame. I understood the importance of the guilt factor for me right? How, how it guides our moral compass. And I also learned to understand shame and its placement and how I've been raised to, to be conditioned to feel shame over things I shouldn't. So I really delved into that arena. Um, I struggled hugely with eating disorders and depression. And I feel like I had a, my whole big journey there. But I'm going to say, honestly, if I'm to be just totally open about the biggest thing for me, it was learning how to find who I was spiritually mm. and that we all have, we all get to make the choice of what we believe. Do we have a creator? Do we not? What does that creator look like to us? And what does our relationship with that creator look like? That's been my biggest journey is saying, mm. I get to believe who my creator is, what he looks like and what my relationship with him is. No one else gets to determine that. Mm. No one else gets to predetermine how he judges me or how he feels about me. I get to decide that I am loved unconditionally, that I was sent here with a purpose, and that whatever decisions I made in my past, they don't stop me from fulfilling that purpose. And they don't stop me from being infinitely valuable and worthy. Wow. Period. And they may have even been a part of serving that purpose. Absolutely. Right? Like, you know, that was a part of your purpose was 100%. to overcome that hardship. 100%. Wow. Okay. That kind of leads me to a question I wanted to ask a while ago about like the very beginning here. Mm -hmm. When you have such a deep belief that uh, um, taking an action like choosing abortion will land you in this like eternal damnation. I, and I'm not religious in any formal way. So if I'm using language wrong, feel free to correct me. But when you have this deep belief, how did you even make the choice in the first place? Were you just like, I would rather be damned than like, how did you, how did that happen? <laughs> really good question. And one that I've never really asked myself, um, but I know the answer. So I, to, to tell you where I was at, um, I had been dating a young man all the way through high school, uh, that was not a member of my church okay. and my parents had shut that relationship down when I was a junior in high school. And it was really traumatic for me because mm -hmm. I was just in love with this person. And what happened was there was sort of this Romeo Juliet situation that was created in that. Once they made us break up, all of my friends and even their parents started to help us meet up because <laughs> everyone just thought we were such a cute couple. And so I have people that I actually went to church with who were 
having me and him come over to their house for his birthday party and lying to my parents. And so there were years of where I was living this double life. Wow. I was wanting to please my parents and make them happy and be this girl, right? This yeah. good girl. Yeah. But I also lived a, a double life in that I was sneaking around with his boyfriend and having sex with him and um, wanted to just be with him, right? And I just, I lied to my parents and I lied to him and left, led these two double lives. So it was in this point of college when I was seeing him and I have to back up and tell you that not only was he not a member of my church, he was a member of a church in the same town that their entire basis of their worship and their sermons was to save people from the Mormon church. Completely anti -Mormon. Wow, really, like really, really opposites. Huge. Like his mom had gone to the length of coming to my home with the Bible and like telling me all like how I was going to hell by being a member of the Mormon church. And so there was this constant tug and pull between his church and my church, both fighting for, I'd been told by my parents that like my soul was being fought for. Um, my dad told me when they, when they wanted me to break up, my dad told me that he'd actually had a revelation or a vision where Satan told him he would take me from their family and that the tool he was using was this boyfriend and that I would be lost for all eternity. So I have all of this in me, right? All of this. So when I get pregnant, in my head, I say to myself, what choices do I have? Yeah. If, I, if I go forward with this pregnancy period, there are two options. I give birth to a baby and try to raise it, but it will be con constantly for the, its whole life be torn between this family and this family and these two religions. And I could foresee what a hardship this would be on this child's life. And then I thought, if I try to give it up for abortion, my family might allow that, but there is no way the boyfriend's family would ever allow that. For adoption? For no. adoption, sorry. Okay, yeah. And so I'm in my head, I'm trying to figure out what options do I really have? So I decided, and this, I'm not trying to say this to be noble. I just really believed I was saving this child heartache. And oh, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. And so I chose the, the, the least of the evils in my head and decided <sighs> to just take on eternal damnation. <laughs> yeah. To me, that seemed the lesser. That sounds crazy to say it out loud now, but that's where my head was. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I use the words that my abortion was an act of love and that just like people don't understand that. That's a how lot. it felt to me. Yeah. It was an act of yeah. love. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Heavy. <laughs> it's amazing. It's that. both yeah. heavy and light at the same time. You know, it's like heavy, but it just at least for me, it feels so good to see and hear you talk about it and to oh. just like break down these walls. And yeah, I really just understand that these stories are so complex. And when we try and minimize them to laws and, you know, oh. religious beliefs and oh. politics, it's just missing the mark on what it is to be human. Well, and isn't that what we really are searching for is we need a safe place for women to discuss abortion that 
is separate from political or religious discussion. That's yeah. what we need. We need to take the politics and the religion out and just have a discussion about being a human and yeah. being a woman yeah. and having been placed in that situation and, and all the implications that come with making that choice. And that they don't end. You think, like, I think I sort of thought that after the abortion, it would be over. The suffering would be over and that it would all end right there, but it doesn't. And so then it just leaves you kind of confused, right? Because part of you is relieved. Right. Part of you is so relieved. This, this, this problem is over, but yeah. then there's all this layering grief and depression and sadness and, you know, all, all this confusion that you just, I think we live with. And I think it's critical that we're talking about these things and mm -hmm. without judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Um, yeah. I, are there any tools that you remember on your journey that could be summed up as an activity or an action or a pondering for someone listening? Like, yeah. you know, and it may or may not be the thing for that person, but is there anything you want to share? That might help. Someone could take away and try. Absolutely. There were two, there, there were several things I did and they all kind of helped me with a different aspect of what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of the things I told you about that I, I spoke of earlier was I, I created an alter ego. And then years later, there's the book written, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, but I created an alter ego. And sometimes when I needed to use her, I would think from her place or make choices from her place. And she, I knew what she looked like. She had a name. My kids still refer to her. So she helped me a lot. But as far as the actual grief, there were two things I did to process and deal with those. And one um, was a pillow exercise. So I, I, I got a pillow. Yeah. I set it aside. And then I got out, you know, two stacks of, of just lined paper. And on one stack, I wrote, um, I wrote a letter to myself as a young girl. And mm -hmm. to help myself, I pulled out a picture that I have from when I was like, I think I was three and a half or four years old. And I love this picture of me because when I look at that little girl, I love her. Mm -hmm. I remember how sweet and innocent and kind she was and how hopeful she was for her life. And how when she woke up in the morning, she felt like she was the star of some beautiful movie with cartoon birds like mm. she just had this innocence and love for life and joy and I look at her picture and I have such love for her and so I would write um, a letter to her and tell her how much I love her and how valuable she is and 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 then I would set that aside and then I wrote a separate just just pages and pages of like all the disgust I felt for myself all the mm. hate all the grief, all the horrible feelings. I wrote them out as much as I needed to on those pieces of paper. And then I took that stack and I placed it inside the pillow. I hugged it to my chest, closed my eyes, and I felt all of those feelings. And oh. I allowed myself just to, like literally I felt like I was hugging my grief, yeah. hugging my pain, hugging my shame, and I just allowed myself to sit with it. And I, there's been times I've sat with that for over an hour and just sometimes shake, you know, just shake with grief and pain. 
but I think it was important for me not to try to box that up and hold that in anymore, but to allow that to come out and feel it. And then also feel that it didn't kill me. Mm-hmm. It sucked. It hurt. It was hard, but I was strong enough to hold it and carry it and have my own back. Mm. And then after I feel like I finished with that exercise, then I put my letter to my younger self in there and I hold that to my chest in the pillow. And I allowed myself to feel all of that love mm. and acceptance and joy and hope for, for not only past potential and progress, but future. And that I know I have a purpose and that my choices don't define me. They make me stronger. They've helped me learn. They've helped me progress on my journey. They help me help other people's people. But anyway, those, those exercises really helped me tremendously Mm, and like you said they may not help other people but they might I have never heard that exercise I think it's absolutely amazing is that something you thought to do on yourself or or did someone suggest that to you like it's brilliant I think that I'm a pretty creative thinker and so my brain is always thinking of things but I think it was definitely stimulated doing my own life coaching and listening to different podcasts talking, you know, Brooke Castillo talks about, um, you know, not trying to like push our grief away, but embrace, embracing it. Yeah. And I, I think that's what made me think of the pillows. Like maybe I should literally, embrace literally it. embrace it, literally embrace this. Like what's Just wrong with that? Genius. Yeah. Just so genius. I that. And what did you do with the letter, the paper after? Did you save I, it? Did you burn it? Did you leave I, it in the pillow? I shredded them up and I have a burn um, bin over at my grandma's house. And I took that with some other things I wanted to yeah. burn. And I burnt it. And just let them go. And that was cathartic too. You loved them and let them go. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, I love you so much. <laughs> I just had a consult call with a client and or a potential client. And I wanted to jump through the computer and hug her. I mean, that happens a lot, but not that often. And like, I'm having the same experience with you. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love Zoom, but I can't like get in there and hook you. Well, as soon as COVID's over, I will fly to Massachusetts. Uh, I'm going to make you give me that hug. I will take it. Holy moly. I think you need to, might need to be at one of my retreats someday. You know how you speak. Um, I, I just took a super quick note here. Um, I'm curious how you've talked to your kids about this because they're, if they were teenagers, then, then they're, are they, they're out of your house. They're grown adults. What, what are we talking here? They're grown adults. And they're grown adults. My oldest daughter is married and my son is dating a lovely girl. And I've been so happy to see them have such amazing, beautiful relationships and have such amazing, um, they have such amazing relationships with themselves Mm. because I made sure to always make them have this awareness of the difference between guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. And I was always very honest with them. And I just had to really be thoughtful about the timing of when I shared this with them, but I never wanted them to hear from someone else. And so at the age, you know, when they were both teenagers, I decided that that was something I needed to do. And I sat down with them as individuals just because I feel like my relationship with them is different mm-hmm. and I speak to them differently and that I, I wanted to explain the situation to them differently and have, you know, these one-on-one conversations. And 
it, I think it, it was amazing. I'm so glad I was able to do that. And I've seen the benefit in their lives. They don't carry shame. Yeah. They just don't. They, they might experience guilt, which is helpful to them in their lives. Like we talked about earlier, but um, they're so forgiving of themselves and they're so forgiving of others. Mm. I feel like they're the most amazing human beings. And I feel really lucky that yeah. I got to be. Do you remember there. having fears upon telling them? absolutely yeah yeah because I think as a mother one of the greatest gifts is this this child looking at you with this unadulterated love and mm -hmm. admiration and respect for you like you can do no wrong right and I think there was a fear that I would lose that that mm -hmm. I would somehow be um tarnished in their eyes mm -hmm. and and yet it was an unrealized fear just mm -hmm. silly because they you know your children love you the same way you love them yeah yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I think kids need to know that their parents are human and their parents have made mistakes too. Yeah. Okay. It's part of our human experience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Beautiful. Is there anything else you feel like a listener might need to hear? Um, I think that, you know, the, the, I would just want to reiterate that you're not alone. And that there's someone out there who's experienced at least some part of what you have and they empathize and, and that um, you are loved and you are infinitely worthy and valuable no matter what decisions you've made and however they've impacted your life and that your life does have purpose and meaning. Mm. And don't ever lose sight of that, ever. And also that you're strong enough to handle whatever you need to feel and go through in the, in the grieving process. Wise words. So where can people find you if they want to find you? If anyone ever wants to talk to me um, or be coached or just reach out for some advice, you can email me at Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, thelifecoach at gmail.com. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. I yeah. love it. And you're mostly working with, um, like your target audience is clients or women? in abusive relationships or I, all anyone i coach both men and women and it, uh -huh. what has been fascinating is that half of my clients are men and mm -hmm. i uh, that has been a really cool journey for me to yeah. be able to men in abusive narcissistic relationships as well as women wow. and to see them be brave enough to reach out and admit to those things because men are conditioned not to talk about those things so it's yeah. been a yeah. Are there any narcissism statistics around, does it affect men more than women or women more than men? Or is it a pretty equal? Uh, it's what we're finding is that it's pretty equal. Pretty yeah. Equal. Yeah. 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 Because it's usually formed in childhood through neglect or abuse and all children experience that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. I can't thank you enough for being here and being so brave and so vulnerable. And I am a hundred percent, like I felt this sense of like such joy, this whole podcast, because I felt so grateful that I get to put your voice out into the world. I was just like, so glad that I could <laughs> give you this space to share your story and your wisdom. So I am so grateful for this opportunity and for you putting this out into the universe and for you being you and 
offering support and help to those. It's, it's just so needed. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Amazing. Oh, I want to tell you quickly, I, um, there's an organization called Exhale, Exhale Pro Voice. I don't know if you've heard of them. I've not. They do. Um, so they're, they're, the term pro voice is like, it's not pro choice. It's not pro life. Like we're pro voice. We're pro woman. We're pro whatever experience you have. Right. And so they do some counseling work and, um, for anyone listening, there are podcast episodes in about exhale. And, um, I was participating in this retreat that there is virtual retreat they were hosting. And one of the women, in participating said oh my goodness you're a life coach school coach like I love the life coach school and I was like what <laughs> she knows the life coach school like <laughs> know that Brooke has created a massive organization Beautiful. of healers and helpers and tools and resources but it was so fun to be and it was a there was only like eight of us or 10 of us. So it was a very small group. And she was like, the model helped me through my, you know, through my abortion healing so much. I was like, what? That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> it was so exciting. I love that. Yeah, really fun. All right. Well, thank you so much. Again, I will stop saying it. And <laughs> we'll be in touch. Thanks so much, Amanda. Bye. You're awesome. Thanks for listening, and as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.